simplifying is oftentimes much harder than trying to blow up a dashboard or give more and more data. Trying to simplify and bring it down to what decisions do we need to make and what data do we need to gather in order to answer the question, in order to make that decision in the end. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Julian Juniman, founder at Measure School. I know you wouldn't want me to say this, but he is regarded by many as the greatest marketing intelligence expert in the world. We will discuss marketing intelligence best practices for marketing leaders. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Julian, welcome. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm very well this time, and I'm happy to talk to you today. Absolutely, absolutely. We usually will start with the, you telling us about yourself. So do you want to do that? Telling us about your background, your role, and may I repeat? how you tend to become the goat of marketing intelligence. <laughs> I don't know. So my journey simply starts as a performance marketer out of university. I wanted to go the entrepreneurial route and founded uh, startups, but also uh, joined startups. Not all of them super successful, but I learned a lot in the marketing role. And in 2013, I wanted to go out on my own and became a freelancer and try to get clients in the marketing field. But what they really wanted and what I really wanted was to teach them about how they could install the right tracking and the right data, because that's what you really need when it comes to marketing. And that's the cool thing about the internet and online marketing as a whole, because you can make so much really good decisions when you have the right data in place. And so that's when I started out working with companies. And at the same time, there was an opportunity to teach this all. Emerging platforms such as Udemy and also YouTube were out there. So I started my first course and that really hit a nerve. A lot of people wanted to learn about this stuff. And I started the YouTube channel shortly thereafter. And fast forward the last eight years, we are now at 170,000 subscribers, still teaching the ins and outs of digital marketing to people on the internet, uh, mainly through the Google stack of Google Analytics, Tag Manager, and also Data Studio. And yeah, we built a little bit of a company around it, have course instructors, have people out to learn this thing, also help with implementations of these tools as well. And overall, it has been a very interesting journey over the last eight, nine years now that I've been doing analytics. It's been, and I, you've, like I so we said offline, off the record, you've inspired a lot of lives, including mine, to see performance marketing in a really great way. And people are really doing marketing the most productive way, which I really love. Can you give me like your top two most common problems that you think business face when they approach you guys to help them out? 
first of all, the biggest different problems that are out there in the digital analytics field. And oftentimes people just simply want to have a question answered and want to have data tracked. So one is the technology side of getting the data into the system that you can actually make decisions on that data. And that data needs to be customized oftentimes. So the standard data, just installing analytics on your website doesn't always seem to do the trick Oftentimes it's not enough to just do that. But then it actually comes to a point where once you have the data, oftentimes people don't know what to do with it and how to actually make decisions, the right decisions out of it. So training is a very big part of our business as well. And not only getting the data into the system, but then also training and having the ability to make your own decisions is very important because nobody can really just answer your questions and then tell you, please change around your website. The data clearly says it. there's a lot whole more process around actually getting people to move and make a change and a decision inside within a company. And that oftentimes needs to be coming from inside. My preferred approach is actually to teach people first. So they actually understand the importance of the data. They understand the importance of the decision. Then they can internally lobby for the change. And that oftentimes makes the biggest difference. Yeah, I love that. And I will say just a few things to add to that. Right now, as I speak, even though there's a lot flying around these days, people talk about pipeline strategies, people talk about demand gen strategies and all these very nice buzzwords. Let's leave the chat GPT alone for now. But they forget digital transformation. And now the consultants, the Esther Young of this world and all, they are now happy to say, you will need us right now because that is what is needed. Brands need to create better experiences for people. And in order to be able to do that, you need to be able to work on your digital transformation and lobby the leadership to believe in what you believe because what you believe is what they believe. They just don't know it yet. And people say, oh, don't we need this, whatever it is. No, from a position of strength, but a position of reality, for a position of where marketing is going right now, it's important for us to influence as much as we can internally with regards to digital transformation and the like. Now, when it comes to the topic data-driven marketing, it's something that from my experience happens, yes, it needs to happen before the fact in terms of before you run any campaign, you need to get this one. We'll talk about that later. But in terms of the data that comes out of it, that is more of after the fact, which is why I want us to talk a little bit about strategy to say, okay, is there a way we can look at the entire business marketing intelligence cycle, if we use it that way? When it comes to customer research and determining marketing strategies and tying all that into marketing intelligence, what are some of your recommendations for the best kind of research needed when trying to develop this strategy in terms of getting customer insights? How do we get them? Where do we get them these days? And what forms of data are very useful these days to inform strategy? Sure. You kind of need to distinguish between two forms of data, external data that you get from outside and internal data that you research yourself. For the external data, it really depends on your industry. There are research companies out there trying to get the pulse on the, the market itself. And if you can afford it as a big corporation, you can obviously buy into these research companies and get a study about your target market. That will give you one side of the story and a little bit of an insight. 
and definitely will help you out in customer research. Obviously, there are also free tools out there. You could look at Google Trends. You could look at marketing intelligence tools. Even Ahrefs is something that we use internally just for the search engine market to know what are people searching for. And that informs our strategy as well. But these are tools that are outside. Now, that cannot really replace the fact that you need to talk to the customer. And there are many tools out there that you can ask people for their opinion. And if you don't have any audience built up yet, you can also go out and go on LinkedIn and write them a message, right? Talking to the customer is very important. Now, you can do this in a high-touch way where you actually call them. You could start a podcast and have conversations with actual prospects or with your actual target market. Or you could do it in a more scalable way, which obviously would involve, for example, surveys. Now, going even further down that chain, if you already have a website up and running and people are coming to that website, they might be leaving clues behind. So you can use your digital analytics information from your Google Analytics, for example, to get more insights about the target market, what they're reading, what they're interested in, and where is maybe an uptake or down of hotness and topics and so on. So there are many different or data sources that you can use to do customer research. I would say that the most effective way that I have found is to actually talk to a customer on the phone or on a video call, because that will give you a simple feeling, a simple hunch that you might want to investigate further. And that will give you the ability to then look into the data that you have gathered maybe from externally or in a more quantitative way. So in your analytics tools, for example, and make more sense of it. The qualitative research that you are doing at this stage and talking to the customer can really help you to inform your next steps in your quantitative research that you would do. And then also the strategy, obviously. I'm about to make a joke right now. And the joke is that I would have expected you to hone in on the quantitative side of market research, but you didn't. And so thank you for that. Very important. And you mentioned a couple of great ideas here and having to merge those data sets together to spot trends and then note those trends, I think is something that is really great. So thank you for sharing that wisdom. I, I really like it. There is a bit of another idea when it comes to strategy. It's still an ongoing thing, still a work in progress, if you will call that. And that is the fact that the job of a CMO these days has increased. It's not really marketing as much. Some CMOs are now commercial officers. Some are chief customer officers and so on and so forth. And why is this? That's because when it comes to marketing, it's beyond marketing itself. You want to look at different areas, whether it's strategy, innovation, digital experience, sales, service, and all these things. And based on some of my survey or research or speaking to some people, their challenge remains the same. They do not have visibility on a centralized marketing intelligence system, or let me put it this way, a centralized commercial system where there is integration across board. I'm not talking about a 100% fit, but you probably know what I mean. So my question is, from your experience, do you have any hacks that has worked in helping business leaders try to, and no pun intended here, connect the dots, you know, between marketing, sales, and service, and then they can see the complete customer view from a tracking perspective. Yeah, I don't have any hacks, unfortunately. In that area, the data gets really messy because yeah. there's not one centralized tool and a page view, for example, or a user 
might mean something completely different to web analytics tool than to your CRM system or your sales system even. So in order to bring this all together, you really need to go and take your data and crunch it yourself. And that's what the biggest and the best companies nowadays do. And I think also the tech has become uh, more accessible, whereas 10 years ago, you needed to buy an integrated system where you try to patch everything together. Now you have components out there that let you maybe install your web tracking correctly, but then also have a centralized data warehouse where you send data from your CRM system and your web system or your sales system into one place. Now still, they're in a data warehouse, which basically is a big central hub where your data, your raw data hopefully lies. And For example... Yeah, for example, uh, where you still need to make sense of it. And that, again, requires some skill. So you mm. need to have the training probably of how to get the data from connected. Some data engineering needs to be done there. And then also making sense of that data and building it into a dashboard, building it into a central system that the CMO can actually look at and make sense. The data makes sense, right? That actually takes some time and some skill set. So that's why... There is no one way to do things and there's not one tool to actually bring this all together. But there are the pieces of tech are out there and you don't have to use BigQuery. There are other tools out there from Amazon as well, for example, that let you connect these tools together and build these data pipelines. But what it takes, unfortunately, resources, right? You need to have the team in place maybe or get the consultants to do this for you so you can bring this data all together in a centralized way and then make sense of it, build the right dashboards from it. And even once you have the dashboard, you still need to convince the CMO that this data actually makes sense. So maybe a data analyst that can tell a data story and make sure that the right steps are taken, the right recommendations get out there and the right lobby actually happens in order to make a change happen within the organization. So all of this takes a lot of resources. It takes a lot of time. So it's not something that you can do just everybody just wants to have a tool where they can click on yeah, everything is that there. can just make right. everything work <laughs> it just simply doesn't exist and with sophistication of the the project comes also a lot of resources on the human side that, that need to be taken into account yeah what you give us here is the best we have out there maybe the best for maybe another couple of years as well because even if the tech is available there are still some issues like is for example facebook going to marry google ever is Facebook or Google going to marry some CRM, Salesforce or whatever it is? There are some of these political data sharing uh, factors to consider as well. And with those, almost sometimes you never get an expiration date. So I sort of agree with you in manual data consolidation. We might be resources intensive, but it's always what the risk if done correctly. So thank you for that. Let's go into a bit of tactics right now. And I'm talking about best practices. Again, I spoke too soon when it comes to data privacy issues or data sharing. But in general, where do you see data privacy going when it comes to tracking and extracting data or gauging conversion events or user journeys and stuff like that? Where do you see where do you see the impact of data privacy and how do you think marketers should respond uh, to that? Yeah, we have all seen it, us in Europe, much more than yeah, other countries. I was going to say but that. At the same time, 
the GDPR standard that was established by the European Union is a very stock model for a lot of the other privacy legislations that are being worked on in Brazil, in California, and many other different countries and, and states in the US. Privacy is here to stay and it's not going away. At the same time, we have seen that private companies actually also want to pitch in, maybe make a little bit of money, as you have seen with the iOS update, where Apple has said they are now the privacy company and suddenly it has become a marketing topic as well, which is very, very interesting to watch. As from a data side and from a marketing perspective, we know that this is detrimental to the actual data gathering process, right? We are not able to get all the data that we want. We might have a deterioration of the data that we can actually gather and the personas that we might be able to build and to target. And that's unfortunate. The reality, though, is that every marketer needs to get used to the thought of not having that data available any longer. I see the, the fact that we need to get used to it and we need to adhere to it. So there, there is like an ethical movement as well in the marketing scene to say, okay, we need to have this cookie banner app. We need to have maybe not gather the email addresses from people in order to send them to a third party like Facebook in order to be able to market much better. Maybe that's not the ethical way. And now the, the legislation side comes in as well. So many different angles to this kind of privacy problem or opportunity that we are seeing. One thing that I can say is that marketers need to adapt to this. You might not see all the data in your system anymore, but you will see some data and that data might be on a different level. So if you have been gathering 100% of data now and it's now only 80 or 70 or 60%, the level of data will go down. At the same time, the trend will probably still be there. So if you have a spike, there might be a reason behind it. So it's still something that you need to know how to read and you still need to know how to react to it and uh, make decisions upon that data and interpret it correctly. Even though we have less data and it's annoying, we need to uh, still work with that data. On the other hand, we have this promise now that is out there, which is very interesting, of artificial intelligence taking over. So all of these tools have now some kind of component of saying, hey, we can actually make sense of your data, just give it to us. No matter how little. Yeah, and the problem is a bit that it goes into a black box, essentially. So mm. what we see is that even now, with new technologies like Google Analytics 4 coming out, we don't always know how the operations or the process is that the data is processed in, right? So it gives us an output. It lets us know that there are conversions. It lets us know where the users came from. But is this actually accurate? And there's not much ways to actually look into that anymore because there is a closed box, a closed AI or a machine learning algorithm that, that actually determines that data, which is a little bit scary on the side. On the other hand, the question becomes every data that is pumped into the system and you get an output, any tool that is out there will show you probably different data. The question then becomes what data, what tool, and what company do we trust most, right? When it comes to this age of AI, where does Google give us the right data? Does Facebook give us the right data? We really need to figure out 
where is the sweet spot in terms of trust? Because you cannot work with data if you don't trust that data. So that's the, the next question where I think privacy will head to. Where Who do we trust still with our data and who? which tool gives us accurate information? That will be the future that we are getting into with AI and data. Yeah, and unfortunately, nothing is open anymore. We thought we had open AI, but it's not open. So you're right. Who do we really trust? Or do we have a bit of a polygamy relationship, if I would call it that way, <laughs> with all these tools? I don't know if you've heard of, have you heard of the Google consent mode? That was something yeah, that sure. somebody did tell me about recently and how they, is their own kind of like an attempt to deal with this privacy stuff. And I've had to test some Google Tag Manager stuff. Could you say a few things about that? And do you think that is going to help anything? Yeah, sure. So I'm not a big fan of the consent mode. It's oh, okay. kind of Google's attempt to say, hey, everybody needs to install cookie banners or some countries now. And there is a rumor actually going around that. I don't know if I have the scoop on or if I heard it, but Google only yeah. wants to allow Google ads for certain consent managers. So if you have a cookie banner on your website, you will be able to still run ads with Google ads. So that will be very interested to see. But yeah, Google came out with this consent mode because they actually don't want to just say, hey, there is either tracking or there's no tracking for this user, right? Mm. They wanted to give you a way to say, maybe a little bit of tracking is possible. So if the user has not stated what they actually want, so if they want to have uh, tracking or they don't want to have tracking, then Google puts this mode on it where it will still partially track data, but in an anonymous way. And that means that they will still get hit data, but it will not combine in a session or into a user. And it, it just still sends over data to Google or a ping to the system, but it won't be able to identify the user in a certain sense. And you won't be able to do read marketing, but you would be able to see still other conversions on this page, other page views and so on. And this is a very, yeah, this is a very half-assed attempt to say, hey, I think this is all right. So let's just send that data, which confuses obviously a lot of people who use Google ads because all the Google reps say you should install consent mode. On the other hand, from a legal perspective, we need to say that there's either tracking and there's no tracking. That's pretty clear in the GDPR. So if the user says, I don't want to be tracked, then you shouldn't be tracking the user. And if the user hasn't decided yet, then maybe you shouldn't be tracking the user either. It's very doubtful that from a... GDPR perspective that the consent mode is actually viable uh, method to actually still send data over. That obviously is something that mostly courts would need to decide if it comes to it. But I think that Google kind of introduced it and now tries to push it. But I don't think it's a real solution to the privacy problem that we have on the web. Interesting. Yeah. If you just hearing about consent mode for the first time. <laughs> we'll add a link in the show notes for this, but great perspective about that. And I think I'll just I'll just follow what you'd say. I think you're right. I believe a lot in ethical marketing as well, even though I'm a performance marketer too. So I like the way you sort of balance both, both sides. Now to the topic of marketing intelligence best practices. GA4, when it first came out two years ago or whatever, three years ago, honestly, personally, I was like, oh my God, what is this? I have to unlearn and learn some stuff. Of course, we followed guys like you in terms of how to migrate into this because we were early adopters. It was not very easy because, for example, if you are tracking GA4 on Shopify, at that time, 
you have to install some advanced codes to fire to Google Tag Manager with their fires to GA4. But now, thankfully, everything is easy. With a simple Google Gmail integration, you can fire e-commerce events on all these CRMs. And basically, things have gotten a little better. But my question is this. Do marketing leaders, the ones you've worked with, do they love the new experience or they are still angry with the change management? Yeah, I think mainly on the internet, you hear a lot of the hate and the mistrust with, with that Google created. I must say that Google wasn't great at communicating this change. And there was a big back and forth as well as a enforced deadline, which is now over. Since July 1st, we now need to use Google Analytics for and the old universal analytics has been shut off. So that brings uh, with it a bunch of problems, but also a lot of opportunities. And so what I really liked about the change is simply that people started caring. Too long, Google Analytics is a free tool still. It is a free tool that you would install on your website and then you set it and forget it. And there was never a discussion and especially work with small business owners. They never looked into it and they don't know of the capabilities. Often it was 90% underutilized, this tool um, by, by small business. Yeah. So now that the, this change came about, a lot of people asked the questions, oh, there's a newer tool out there. Let me upgrade and... Yeah, there was a bunch of problems in terms of wording, what upgrade actually means, because we are dealing with a completely new tool here with a completely new set of features. And we need to acknowledge that. So if you switch over to a new tool, obviously you are, are willing to learn this tool, to do a little bit of work in order to get this tool set up and then also get familiar with the interface. Now, Google Analytics itself is maybe a very familiar tool to marketers, but now switching over to a GA4 might be a, a little bit of a stretch because it's not like anything like Google Analytics was before. It's a completely new tool that needs to be normally new integrated into your platform and really newly thought about what data do you actually want to measure. So that actually has a lot of explosive stuff for writing uh, Twitter posts and so on. And a lot of people hated that change. And I totally get it. At the same time, I think that Google did a service to all of the other competitors that are out there, Matomo, Pivik Pro, tools like Fathom and so on, that were basically trying to snatch up some customers and some actually succeeded and switched away. And I think for the better, actually, because Google Analytics is a powerful tool. And if you don't have the time to actually look into it, there are maybe other tools out there that you might want to use. All the power to them. As for marketing leaders out there, they obviously not only have one website to switch over and use a new tool, they have maybe much more processes that they would need to make sure that actually work in a company to get the data that they need for reporting, even for reporting purposes, just that. You need to not only upgrade the tool, which is a migration process in itself, you also would need to train your team, which is a whole change process in itself, and then also make sure that you utilize the new capabilities of the tool. And that, again, takes a lot of resources, human resources. And a lot of people maybe were not eager to, to put money into this change process. So I kind of understand that they did it grudgingly. And at the same time, it's a completely new tool. Some people might be thinking, why don't I switch to a completely different tool away from Google Analytics? That's what I've heard a lot about. And a lot of companies have now switched or they considering switching. 
And on the same hand, if you stay with Google Analytics, which has the, some pros to it, obviously the connection to Google ads is pretty huge. And now it gives you some more powerful tools, such as the BigQuery expert, where you can actually take charge of your own raw data instead of BigQuery. So there are a lot of, I would say, pluses to it. And yeah, time will tell if Google Analytics will stay the dominant analytics tool out there. They flounder definitely on the communication part, but so far, I think that it is a necessary change with the privacy coming along with different devices that we might want to track from mobile experiences to the websites itself and more complex kind of web applications that are out there. So Google did the right move here, I think, in the long run. At the same time, I must say that they dodged the bullet maybe a little bit, I would say rather drop the ball on the communication side of this whole change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, if you're listening, please follow Measure School on YouTube. I am a religious follower and I will say why. When it comes to, there is something that Google GA4 does have, which they pride in a lot. It's called the advanced tracking. And on that channel, Julian and his team actually demonstrated how inaccurate some of these advanced trackings are. For example, they do have three events, form view, form open and form submit. And they tested on that channel, one of the videos that they tested on how the form submit is not really as accurate, especially, for example, if you fill a form and it invalidates, maybe you put in the wrong stuff, Google GA4 will record this as a form submit as well. So I think there's still a lot they need to work on with regards to that. They also have another video on the YouTube channel about any alternatives that you might want to consider when it comes to online presence tracking. But I'll ask you this very quick question, Julian. Do you think that Firebase gurus will be too upset? Because many don't know this, but GA4 was born out of a Google Analytics product for Firebase. Like nearly almost the same thing was copied over. Do you think they will be upset with this change? Because they are probably used to tracking apps and using that GA4 version or that Google Analytics version at the time. Yeah, I think that the tracking itself, the mechanisms, and especially for people who already know Firebase, they are much more technical and they know how to build in the tracking itself. And they kind of, and me included, I appreciated really the new event model that came along. So you will be able to define your data schemas and your data much more closely aligned to your business model itself, which with universal analytics was always a little bit of a pain or a little bit of a stretch to do. Once they have that already in place, I don't think that a lot of rethinking needs to be done, right? So if you have used universal analytics, yes, you need to do a lot of rethinking. But if you used Firebase before or you are familiar with the event tracking model and being able to define an event name and then the parameters of that event beneath that, then you are probably familiar with that and then also will find a way to utilize Google Analytics for it effectively. Yeah, I love the way we've been speaking about tools. We're not typically heavy on tools, but because of this episode, we really need to teach people how to navigate the change. And there are a lot of changes happening with marketing intelligence. But on top of tools is tracking solutions. So marketing intelligence solutions. So from a technical perspective, could you give us your top three marketing intelligence solutions that you think people should start thinking about and then they can find tools to support those? I think... From that perspective, there are three things that really need to be considered. One is the actual solution that tracks your data, that you can send data in to your system. 
And I will just, in terms of explanation and example sake, give you the Google stack that we recommend usually. And there would be Google Analytics in combination with Google Tag Manager, which makes it easy to track events into your system and customize your tracking because no analytics solution is complete if you haven't thought about what is my business model, what conversions do I need to track, and how do I model this into the tool of Google Analytics, for example. So having a robust tracking solution and how to actually implement and customize your tracking is very important. This is the data gathering side or the tracking side itself. And then you need to have a robust analysis platform that lets you combine and use data in a way that, that makes it easy for you to get insights out of it. Google Analytics can give you some of this data and be able to actually analyze it within the tool. You can use Google Analytics for that. At the same time, there are maybe other solutions that you want to dig into data deeper. And here it kind of diverges. I'm a big fan of data visualization software where somebody takes that data and actually visualizes that data into charts and graphs and simplifies all of these reports and all of this data. Because to be honest, not everybody needs to see all of that data. And one of these solutions is Google Data Studio, now called Looker Studio, where you are able to pull data out of the system and be able to visualize it so you can tell a data story. And with that data, you then need to present it. And that could already be the dashboard that a CMO maybe sees, but maybe you need to present it in a way that is in, a, in maybe a format of a presentation, for example, right? So these are the different solutions that I think are very important. The data gathering side, the analysis side, so you are able to see your data and squish it around and make uh, changes to your data, and then the visualization stage. And Google Analytics can do some of it, can also do be a solution for all of it, but I don't think it's best at everything. So having things in place like Google Tag Venture, Google Analytics, and Looker Studio will really help you out in order to make full circle on data intelligence and be able to take your data and turn it into a decision or into a change that impacts your business. I like the words like the Trinity right there. And if you are listening, I think that's from a Google standpoint, you can look at other solutions you want, but basically you are looking at tracking enablement, data collection, and data visualization. If I will put it that way, I'm not saying those are the official words, but yeah, that's really well laid out. You've also set the stage for my last set of questions here around how you communicate or tell the data story with your leadership team, which I really love. I would like to explore some best practices with you here. The first one is, it's a bit obvious or cliche, but if it really happens to you, then you need to remember this podcast episode. And that is marketing leaders not being patient with marketing intelligence and tracking. They just want to start campaigns, ESAP. They are out of time. They are behind competition. And if you're listening here, you can relate. And it, when it comes to tracking, sometimes it may not be very easy, right? Julian before had said, if you want to really have great attribution across customer journeys, then you need to have a content pool. You need to have resources in place. I can go on and on in terms of what it could take and how much time can be spent just setting up your tracking. But I would like to get Julian's take on how or why you think marketing leaders should still be patient, no matter how long it takes for marketers to get their tracking right before starting any campaign. Even if it's a $100 campaign, tell us about it. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that we 
are impatient oftentimes when it comes to data. But we always need to remind ourselves that data is at the heart of digital marketing. And if we don't have the right tracking in place, we are able to still run our campaign. We might be able to get conversions. We might be able to have great results. But do we actually know how many results there are? And do we have the tracking in place in order to later backtrack and know where the results came from in order to optimize? So this is a crucial part of any kind of campaign that needs to be weighted on, unfortunately. And the number one thing is actually then also testing that out because a lot of people don't test. That's always what I say. Think about that you need to test your implementation before you put a campaign live so you actually have the data available to be tracking correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about A-B testing, there is also something else here. Google optimizes, they are no longer doing A-B testing. Perhaps they want to make a GA4 integration. We will see because A-B testing is still a big market. But aside from like other tools like Google Optimize, what are some of the other tools out there that marketers can use to A-B test and is easily integratable into maybe Google Analytics or any of your web tracking platforms and you can test a whole bunch of stuff with regards to the customer experience or campaigns or traffic or things like that. But what's the future of A-B testing? Yeah, I guess that Google has blown up this market again because Optimize again was free and now they got rid of it. I'm not sure if they're going to put it back into Google Analytics 4 simply from a perspective that Google Analytics 4 doesn't try to be the tool for everything. It's just like the central measuring hub. So they would rather look at integrations into other tools that are out there. And they have already announced that they are closely working with Optimizely. There's VWO out there. There are other testing solutions out there. The simple fact that what people forget is that you don't necessarily need a tool to make that work. So the fact is that you can actually do this on your own as well, because people always forget that you don't necessarily need a tool to actually do this. For example, you could build two kind of similar websites or two similar landing pages with your variation and your original or your control. And then you can redirect the traffic to one or the other side. Now, this redirect mechanism is not something that you need a tool for. You could actually do this on your own web server. But yeah, there are tools that just do redirect testing. And then in your tool set like Google Analytics, you could send a custom parameter and say the user has seen variation A and variation B. So it's not these kind of builders that we had like with Optimize or VWO or Optimizely, but it's still a viable solution. And then what people could also do is simply, which is not an A-B test, but they could test, for example, at the beginning of the month, the variation one for the month of January, for example, and then in February, they switch to version two. It won't be completely A-B tested and it won't be the exact same traffic, but you might get insights from this as well because you get customer feedback. You might see if you let the test run maybe for a month, you might see viable differences in your conversion data. And that might be enough in order to make a decision. So I wouldn't always pin it down on, you need to use an A-B testing tool. You can okay. make decisions yeah. without A-B testing as well. Yeah, yeah. And I've always done that because I'm all for marketing simply. If you cannot do something without a tool, then you may not actually do it with a tool. That's a quote I stole from Iron Man and then used for marketing. <laughs> <laughs> One last question before I let you go. 
what are some of the things marketers should look out for when making sense of data or dashboards in the case i'm glad that you mentioned the concept of dashboard because there's also this disease of analysis paralysis and they want you to track this event even though it's not needed you know all the lot of nonsense is going on out there right now i know it depends on whether it's b2c or b2b or product to market but i'm sure you might have one or two very high best practices on how to always approach data to tell not just a good story but a honest and transparent story yeah i think one of the things that i'm big on is trying to understand your data really deeply it starts with the tracking itself how do you gather that data and how does that data flow into your system and really trying to understand what these metrics that you see inside of the tools actually mean because it really depends on how you can then interpret that data and what meaning it gives to that data. And from there, you might figure out that you might not need all of this data. Simplifying is oftentimes much harder than trying to blow up a dashboard or give more and more data, right? Trying to simplify and bring it down to what decisions do we need to make and what data do we need to gather in order to answer the question in order to make that decision in the end? So keeping the end in mind, which is the decision, and then starting from scratch to actually understand and how do we gather the data? What would be the best data gathering mechanism? And then following it through, building the visualizations, building the dashboards, building the data story in a way that actually centers around the data that you understand and centers around the question that you're trying to answer and then make the decision upon and the recommendation, hopefully, that you have for the CMO if you build such data stories. So really simplifying, trying to get to the essence of data is oftentimes something that marketers and people who work with data forget about. And I think that's a very powerful thought to gather around, not having too much data available so people can actually interpret it and make their own decision in the end. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Julian, this has been very awesome in terms of our perspective into marketing intelligence. I would expect that if you're listening and you know a business or a leader that needs this, please share with your colleagues because it's full with so much education on what the future will look like and how we should approach marketing intelligence in general so that we can get that kind of commercial revenue that leaders want from us. I know a lot of people know you already, but my question is, where can the new people who haven't heard about you, especially on this episode, where can they find you? And also, where can business leaders find you if they need help with marketing intelligence projects? Sure. So our biggest channel is on YouTube. You can check us out at Measure School. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. And our website has all of the links, measureschool.com, as well as our service offerings, if you are interested in getting something implemented and want to work with us. With that said, I also just want to take the opportunity to let you know about an event that I'm running in October again. This is a free event called Measure Summit, where we bring together all the measurement leaders and thought leaders and the newest tactics around measurement. So if you're interested in hearing from these people, then go over to measuresummit.com. It's completely free and you'll be able to sign up to the event and get your ticket. Yeah, please do that right now. Do that right now if you are listening. And that's all for today, guys. Thank you. Please see more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Till next episode, connect the dots. 
Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.